Welcome to season three of Air Crash Investigation, the podcast, the show where we dissect and discuss prominent crashes in aviation history. I am your host, Jonaka Kai, and in our first episode, we will be talking about the crash that killed basketball superstar Kobe Bryant, N72EX. Without wasting any more of your time, seeing as though this is going to be quite a long one, let us officially get started. It is the greatest aviation mystery of all time. Lies a massive passenger jet and the remains of its 239 passengers and crew. Uh, good morning. We have a smoke uh, problem. And we're doing emergency descent to level 150. In December 1988, a passenger airliner was bombed over Scotland what was one of the largest pre-9-11 terrorist attacks. background. N72EX or N72 Echo X-ray was a scheduled flight for the 26th of January 2020. The flight was from John Wayne Airport, Santa Ana, California, and its destination was Camarillo Airport, Camarillo, California, specifically Kobe Bryant's Mamba Sports Academy. The aircraft used was a Sikorsky S-76B helicopter. This helicopter seated eight passengers and was a luxurious aircraft. The pilot. The pilot of this helicopter was chief pilot and chief instructor of Island Express, Arazobayan 850. He obtained a commercial pilot certificate that allowed him to fly rotorcraft helicopters as long as he had, and I quote, available glasses for near vision, end quote. The pilot's flight hours. In total, Zobayan had obtained 1,250 flight hours on the Sikorsky S-76 series helicopters. In those hours, Zobayan had 75 hours solely based on instrument flying. And within those 75 hours, 68,2 hours were accumulated whilst flying under instrument meteorological conditions or IMF. So Ara Zobayan was well-educated and well-experienced, to say the least. N72EX's passengers. There were eight passengers on board, and these passengers were respected sports people and celebrities. They were basketball juggernaut and philanthropist Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna, baseball coach John Antobelli, his wife Kerry, and their daughter Alyssa, assistant coach at the Mamba Sports Academy, Christina Mauser, and mom and daughter duo, Sarah and Peyton Chester. The morning of the flight. Before the flight took place, Zobayan arrived at one of the Island Express facilities where the flight was going to take off from. He arrived at seven o'clock in the morning, and when he got there, he did his pre-flight risk assessment. A pre-flight risk assessment is, according to easa.europa.eu, a way to make pilots aware of subtle interactions during a flight 
and show how an easy flight could quickly become a very risky one. End quote. And there's the prefix pre in pre-flight risk assessment to show that these checks happen before a flight takes place. This checklist or assessment covers aspects such as weather, anxiety, sleep, navigation, several landmarks that can aid in the navigation of the flight, etc, etc. After performing his risk assessment, he found that there were low clouds over the area that he was supposed to fly over. To mitigate the risk, Zobayan changed the route and this route flew more inland. Something to note, he actually flew this route the day before so he was already well aware and he basically knew what was going on in terms of this flight. N72EX's flight path. N72EX was to go as follows. Number 1. N72EX would take off from John Wayne Airport. Number 2. Then N72EX would go north past Burbank whilst following the 5 Northwest Highway. Number 3. Finally, N72EX would go west to Camarillo whilst following the 101 West Highway. The Detailed Flight N72EX or N72 Echo X-Ray takes off from John Wayne Airport at 7 minutes past 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. This helicopter went northwest at 700 to 800 feet or 213,36 to 243,84 meters under visual flight rules or VFR. Visual flight rules is when, according to atpflightschool.com, the aircraft is intended to operate in visual meteorological conditions, in other words, nice and clear weather, end quote. In other words, this means when a pilot is supposed to heavily rely on visual cues rather than their instruments. So Zobayan was trained to fly under VFR, so that's what he was going to do. At 20 minutes past 9 a.m., N72EX reaches Burbank, California, specifically Burbank class Charlie Airspace. Zobayan asked the Burbank Air Traffic Control for special transition to the Highway 101 airspace. The air traffic control of Burbank denies this request because there were other aircraft in the airspace and the Burbank air traffic control was only accepting aircrafts that were using instrument flight rules or IFR. IFR, according to ansperformance.eu, are rules and regulations that govern flight under conditions in which flight by outside visual reference is not safe. End quote. In other words, Pilots have to heavily rely on their instruments when there are bad weather conditions. The Burbank Air Traffic Controller, however, asked N72 Echo X-Ray about their intentions. Zobayan tells the Burbank Air Traffic Control that he would like special VFR clearance. Special VFR clearance is permission by air traffic control that allows the aircraft to go into a controlled airspace even though the outside visual references are less than what is set by the Federal Aviation Administration or FAA. The visibility at Burbank was 1 mile or 1,60 kilometers. The Burbank Air Traffic Controller granted permission to N72EX to pass through their airspace, but before they did, N72 Echo X-Ray was told to hold for 12 minutes due to IFR traffic. Zobayan agrees and acknowledges this request. At 28 minutes to 10 a.m., 
The Burbank Air Traffic Control allows N72EX to pass through their airspace and allowed them to follow the I-5 freeway, but on condition that they stay and maintain special VFR or they stay below 2,500 feet or 762 meters. Zobayan agrees and they climb to 1,400 feet or 426,72 meters. At 21 minutes to 10 a.m., N72EX passes west of Van Nuys Airport at 1,500 feet or 457,2 meters. The Van Nuys Air Traffic Controller asks Zobayan if he's in VFR conditions. Ara Zobayan responds, and I quote, VFR conditions 1,500, end quote. The Van Nuys Air Traffic Controller tells Zobayan to contact the Southern California Terminal Radar Approach Controller, SET, that was like a mouthful and a half, for air traffic control services since N72EX would be leaving the Van Nuys airspace. Now, N72EX would be using SET until they reached Camarillo. So, N72EX switches to SCT. Now, the weather at this point. The weather around Van Nuys and Camarillo was definitely something. I mean, there was a cloud ceiling, aka the base of a cloud, at 1,000 feet or 304,8 meters above the ground. And as a result, Zobayan tells the SCT that he's going to Camarillo at 570 feet or 173,736 meters. Makes sense. After N72EX tells SCT that they are going down to 570 feet or 173,736 meters, SCT tells Zobayan that they cannot maintain radio contact or communication because they would, and by they I mean N72EX, would be too low. Now after this interaction, the controller who was talking to N72EX was relieved by another controller. I'm sure in your head you're just like thinking, uh-oh, red flag, bad idea, because same, I thought the exact same thing. At a quarter to 10 a.m., Arazobayan tells SCT that he was going to try and climb above the low cloud layers. Red flag. But let's continue. Now, the new flight controller did not know about N72EX's existence, so they ask N72EX to identify itself. And to do that, Zobayan had to flash the helicopter's transponder signal. After flashing the transponder signal, the new SCT air traffic controller asked Zobayan his intentions. Ara tells the air traffic control that he was going to climb to 4,000 feet or 1,21 kilometers. And after this encounter, there was no more communication between SCT, air traffic control, and N72EX. N72EX was climbing whilst following Highway 101, as they should, as it is stated in their flight plan. They reached 1,500 feet or 457,2 meters between Las Virgins and Lost Hills Road, California. Then, disaster struck. N72EX started to descend rapidly in a left turn. N72EX was going 160 knots. Let me just convert that for you. 184,125 miles per hour or 296,32 kilometers per hour. That is a lot of speed. 
they should not be going that fast. Either way, N72EX collided with Heliterranea Calabasas, California. When N72EX crashed, there was a post-crash fire and all eight passengers and the pilot died in the crash. From this Sunday afternoon, five-time NBA champion, former league MVP Kobe Bryant died earlier this afternoon in Los Angeles in a helicopter crash. Now, after it was announced that Kobe Bryant had passed away in a helicopter crash with seven other people, including his own daughter, it was like the world stood still. I mean, many people around the world felt as though a piece of them had been ripped off. Main reason being that Kobe Bryant represented strength and that hard work and determination does indeed pay off in the end. So many people felt as though they lost a father figure, a brother, a friend, and even an idol or role model. And to make things even worse, his 14-year-old daughter died in the same crash that he died from. So it was all icky and like many people were incredibly upset and just many people wanted answers. But the vice president or the director of operations of Island Express said, even like way before this flight was even going to happen, they said, and I quote, at any time, if you feel the flight cannot be flown safely and professionally, then it's a no-go, end quote. And when it comes to deviating due to weather, they said, and I quote, if you must divert, then do it. Land the helicopter and call a taxi for the passengers. If the pilot has to get a hotel room, then get the room, end quote. So many were upset, many were sad, and just many people were thinking about the families that these people did leave behind. I mean, Kobe Bryant had a wife. He had three other children that he left behind. Um, the Antobellis, they have a daughter that they left behind. And I'm sure all these other people had families that they basically left behind. So many people wanted answers and yes. The investigation. The board that was going to be investigating this crash was the National Transportation Safety Board or NTSB of the United States. Main reason being that this crash happened in the United States, so that was a given, and the lead investigator was Bill English. The NTSB really had to find the cause of this crash because a high-profile person on board had been killed and his daughter plus several other people, so many people really did want answers. So they started off with the crash site. The NTSB started the investigation by investigating the crash site. To do this, they made use of a drone to locate where every piece of the helicopter was. They were not leaving anything they were even looking for like minuscule items like balls nuts anything you can name that's like really really small they were looking for that piece to try and figure out what actually happened bill english and his team found that the main wreckage this includes the tail boom both of the engines the avionics boxes and portions of the cockpit instrument panel made a 127 feet or 38,7 meter crater. That is very big and very deep. But let's move on. Furthermore, as I mentioned before, there was a post-crash fire that severely damaged the fuselage, aka the cabin, both engines, and the majority of the cockpit instrument panel. 
Now it is time to map out the course of the flight. To determine the course that N72EX took, the NTSB investigators used the N72EX's Automatic Dependence Surveillance Broadcast or ADS-B data, aka the helicopter's transponder data, to map out the route of the helicopter. The ADS-B records airspeed, altitude, headings, important information. Potential maintenance error. This was the first theory that the NTSB investigators gravitated towards. However, through more investigation, they concluded that there was no evidence of a pre-impact malfunction. Now at this point, the NTSB was really struggling. It was a dead end. They had no clues whatsoever. So they decided to call on to the public to ask them if anyone had any information regarding what happened that day in terms of the conditions, if they had pictures, videos, etc. And a lot of people submitted information. They were witnesses. And we're going to go through that just now. So the weather. An eyewitness who saw N72EX fly over Highway 101 said, and I quote, the helicopter disappeared into thick wall of heavy clouds, end quote. This was corroborated by surveillance footage from a baseball park that N72EX flew past. Now, when there is really, really good weather, everything, including the terrain in the background, like really far away, was incredibly visible. Whereas on the 26th of January 2020, the terrain and the actual helicopter were not visible and the visibility was less than 8,000 feet or 2,43 kilometers. Moreover, surveillance data showed that the base of the cloud was 450 feet, not the 1,100 feet or 335,28 meters that was reported. The data also showed that there was fog coming inland from the Pacific Ocean. This fog was settling where N72EX was flying over. This therefore means, guess what, reduced visibility. Meaning that Zobaya needed to fly using his instruments, but remember, Ara Zobayan was not allowed to fly using IFR since he was under special VFR. So what was going through the mind of the pilot? Why did he not land the plane? Just why? The quote-unquote pressure, specifically the relationship between Kobe Bryant and the accident pilot Arazovian. So Kobe Bryant was incredibly particular and specific about which pilot would fly him and almost every single time he'd request that Zobayan fly him. Furthermore, the vice president and director of operations said that Kobe's relationship with Arau, and I quote, turned into a friendship. End quote. So Kobe might have pressured Zobayan to fly faster. However, this theory was quickly denied by those close to the basketball player and the pilots that have flown him in the past. So the investigators concluded that pilot Zobayan was suffering from what is called self-induced pressure. Island Express's training and procedures. So Island Express's regulations and procedures are in accordance with the rules and regulations of the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA. In relation to daytime VFR, pilots were trained to, and I quote, 
maintain a minimum altitude of 300 feet or 121,92 meters. Number two, make sure that the visibility is at a minimum of one nautical mile. And number three, avoid clouds at all costs. One of the heads at Island Express said in relation to the weather, and I quote, both ground and flight staff will closely monitor weather during periods that may lead to weather minimums being less than those required by the company. If the weather is deteriorating or has fallen below any of the above, flight operations will be stopped and not resume until weather has improved, end quote. Furthermore, all pilots received training on how to deal with special disorientation, decision and judgment making, getting out of unusual altitudes, and dealing with reduced visibility due to fog, smog, etc. The instructor told the pilots to never, and I repeat, if you want to be a pilot, never, ever, ever, ever get into instrument meteorological conditions or IMC. Instrument Meteorological Conditions, or IMC, according to wikipedia.org, and I quote, is a flight category that describes weather conditions that require pilots to fly primarily by reference to instruments and therefore under instrument flight rules or IFR, rather than outside visual references under visual flight rules or VFR. I am telling you, okay, if you want to fly a helicopter just never get into imc i am going to explain how dangerous this is let us continue i cannot stress this point enough the instructor however gave the pilots a quote-unquote checklist that they should follow should they enter imc how to recover from imc number one adjust the pitch and roll to make sure that the aircraft is going straight and it is leveled number two adjust the power to between 70 to 75 percent of the capacity of like the power capacity number three make sure that the helicopter is at an airspeed of 75 to 80 knots per second number four maintain your current heading number five once the aircraft is stabilized then the pilot should transition to autopilot and number six Definitely communicate with your air traffic controller and tell them and declare an emergency because as much as you are out of IMC conditions, are you really? Are you really? Like this kind of makes me really mad, but I'll explain later. Whilst recovering from IMC, the pilot must only turn to avoid known terrain and obstacles. Furthermore, pilots who fly in LA, aka Mr. Zobayan, had more rules. Number one, climb above the cloud layers. Okay. Number two, fly to the nearest airport under VFR if possible, and if not, they should perform a precision instrument approach. Now that we know what type of training Zobayan received, let us see what he did. Ara Zobayan followed all these steps except. After he stabilized the aircraft, he quote-unquote stabilized the aircraft, he did not turn on the autopilot, nor did he declare an emergency and fly to the nearest airport. Van Nice was right there and he decided to go to Camarillo. After all this information was released, this brought into question Ara Zobayan's physical and mental state. Pilot error. 
A post-mortem was done on Arazobayan's remains and it was concluded that there were no pre-existing medical conditions and there was no evidence of alcohol over-the-counter potentially impairing or illicit drugs in his system. Furthermore, reports showed that he did get enough sleep and he did not suffer from any chronic sleep loss. Since this was a dead end, the investigators looked to other pilots who flew with Zobayan to try and see if he took any risks or was a quote-unquote bad pilot. The NTSB investigators interviewed three company pilots to figure out what type of pilot Ara Zobayan was as a co-pilot. Now, there was a problem with the way in which Island Express operated. Island Express only operated single pilot flights. This therefore gave the pilots little to no opportunity to observe the accident pilot during any of his flights. However, one pilot heard stories from another pilot, and these stories were something. This pilot told the investigators that Zobayan did take risks. He sometimes flew with minimum fuel. Also, there was one time where Zobayan allegedly tried to get under clouds, but he could not find an opening in the cloud, so he decided to fly offshore, then descended rapidly through the clouds. This was neither confirmed nor denied. Plan continuation bias. Okay, here we go. Plan continuation bias is when a pilot continues a flight despite deteriorating weather conditions. We have seen this in many accidents that I think I'm going to cover in future episodes, but it's mostly when a pilot wants to get home and they want to rest. They want to see their wife or their husband. They want to see their kids, that type of stuff. So they ignore everything else. They ignore what the weather is saying. They ignore what the instruments are saying, and they just focused on solely landing the plane at the specific airport or at the destination and just going home. The NTSB investigators concluded that Ara Zobayan suffered from planned continuation bias due to self-induced pressure, that self-induced pressure that I told you about, and spatial disorientation. Spatial disorientation. Spatial disorientation, according to Wikipedia, is the inability to determine the altitude, pitch, and roll of the aircraft. Ara Zobayan thought that he was climbing over Calabasas, but he was actually descending in a steep left turn. This was caused by the lack of visibility due to the clouds, meaning that Zobayan could not see the visual horizon. Furthermore, Ara was distracted by the SCT when they asked him to identify himself. He was, of course, moving his head, which moved the fluid in his inner ear, resulting in hallucinations. Therefore, spatial disorientation. Zobayan felt as though the turn was slow and gradual and nice and that he was doing the right thing, but in real life, it was fast, it was rapid. They were going really fast, and this is known as a graveyard spiral. Now that we have discussed this crash in its entirety, I am going to give you the official probable cause as set out by the NTSB. If you want to read the entire document, I have uploaded 
a YouTube video on this topic, so you can go check it out at a crash investigation the podcast. It'll just be in the description where you can just read it. Yeah. Okay. So the probable cause, according to the National Transportation Safety Board, goes as follows. The National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of this accident was the pilot's decision to continue flight under visual flight rules in instrument meteorological conditions, which resulted in the pilot's spatial disorientation and loss of control. Contributing to the accident was the pilot's likely self-induced pressure and the pilot's planned continuation bias, which adversely affected his decision-making and Island Express Helicopters Inc.'s inadequate review and oversight of its safety management processes. End quote. Basically what I said in just a paragraph. Now I am going to be telling you the recommendations set out by the NTSB and I do have to say that some of these recommendations I believe that they have actually set them out before but the FAA just is not implementing them at a faster rate and the FAA is just slow. Here we go. To the Federal Aviation Administration and I quote require the use of appropriate simulation devices during initial and recurrent pilot training for title 14 code of federal regulations part 135 helicopter operations to provide scenario-based training that addresses the decision-making skills and procedures needed to recognize and respond to changing weather conditions in flight identify and apply mitigation strategies for avoiding adverse weather Practice a transition to the use of flight instruments to reduce the risk of spatial disorientation and maintain awareness of a variety of influences that can adversely affect pilot decision making. And here's another one. Convene a multidisciplinary panel of aircraft performance, human factors and aircraft operation specialists to evaluate spatial disorientation simulation technologies to determine which applications are most effective for training pilots and to recognize the onset of spatial disorientation and successfully mitigate it and make public a report on the committee's findings. End quote. They even had recommendations for Island Express. They were coming for everyone and as they should. To Island Express Helicopters Inc. Participate in the Federal Aviation Administration Safety Management System Voluntary Program. And number two, install flight data recording devices capable of supporting a flight data monitoring or FDM program on each helicopter in your fleet and establish an FDM program that reviews all available data sources to identify deviations from established norms and potential safety issues. And that is the end of this episode. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. It took me a long time to actually research, but I really did love going through it because in the news we only get surface level stuff and I do believe the reason for this podcast is just to go deeper and just analyze everything. Something that I really do want you to get from this, even if you get nothing and you just only like my personality, just jokes. But the one thing that I want you to hear from me right now is never ever ever get into 
instrument meteorological conditions if you are a helicopter pilot like please don't do it we already have an example of what happens when you do and it causes spatial disorientation and you get into a graveyard spiral and that's not what we want now do we no we don't either way thank you so much for joining me even though it has been a while since i have I've released an episode i apologize we're going to get back on track on fridays at four o'clock south african standard time but yes thank you so much for listening once again i really do appreciate your support do not forget to follow us on the platform that you're listening to us on subscribe to the youtube channel at a crash investigation the podcast thank you so much i'll catch you next week cheers